Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work. And you can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including guest Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll also visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. It is April the 27th, and on this day in 4,977 B.C., the universe was created, according to German mathematician and astronomer Johannes Kepler, considered a founder of modern science. Kepler is best known for his theories explaining the motion of planets. Kepler was born on December the 27th, 1571, in Wierdelstadt, Germany. As a university student, he studied the Polish astronomer Nicholas Copernicus, uh, his theories on planetary ordering. Copernicus believed that uh, the sun, not the earth, was the center of the solar system, a theory that contradicted the prevailing view of the era that the sun revolved around the earth. In 1600, Kepler went to Prague to work for Danish astronomer Tycho Brahe. Kepler's main project was to investigate the orbit of Mars. When Bray died the following year, Kepler took over his job and inherited Bray's extensive collection of astronomy data, which had been painstakingly uh, observed by the naked eye. Over the next decade, Kepler learned about the work of Italian physicist and astronomer Galileo Galilei, uh, who had invented the telescope, which, which he discovered lunar mountains and craters, the largest four satellites of Jupiter, and the phases of Venus, among other things. Kepler corresponded with Galileo and eventually obtained a telescope of his own to, uh, and improved upon his design. In 1609, Kepler published the first two of his three laws of planetary motion, which held that planets move around the sun in ellipses, not circles, as they'd widely been believed at the time, and that planets speed up as they approach the sun and slow down as they move away. In 1619, he produced his third law, which used mathematical principles to relate the time a planet takes to orbit the sun to an average distance of the planet from the sun. Kepler's research was slow uh, to gain widespread traction during his lifetime, but it later served as a key influence on the English mathematician, mathematician Sir Isaac Newton and his law of gravitational force. Additionally, Kepler did important work in the field of optics, including demonstrating how the human eye works and math. He died on November the 15th, 1630 in Regensburg, Germany. As for Kepler's calculation uh, about the... Uh, Universe's birthday, scientists in the 20th century developed the Big Bang Theory, which showed his calculations were off by a mere 13.7 billion years. So, science proves, but then disproves over time. What do we believe today that won't be true in another 100 years? Unbelievable. And so fascinating, the whole issue of science. I hope we can preserve the integrity of science going forward. Uh, right now, there's so many attempts to corrupt it and politicize it. Governor Ron DeSantis on Tuesday called uh, lawmakers back into special session next month to work on new fixes for the state's troubled property insurance market. He set the session for May the 23rd through the 27th. 
The legislature ended the regular session last month with agreeing on how to address rising homeowners' insurance costs and lack of coverage options. In a session proclamation, he noted that almost 400,000 property owners have been driven into state-run citizens' property insurance over the past two years because of insurance companies have left the Florida market. Citizens expect to have more than a million policies by year-end, DeSantis said. During the two-month session, the Senate approved legislation aimed at bolstering the insurance market, but the House wouldn't go along with the plan, with House Speaker Chris Sproles uh, urging that a property insurance measure approved last year directed at blunting insurance fraud be given more time to work. DeSantis pointed out that three more insurance companies have stopped writing policies in Florida just in the past three months, leaving tens of thousands of policyholders seeking coverage. The latest corporate collapse has come on top of already staggering market where six companies offering homeowners insurance in Florida had already exited the f- in the past five years. Weather-related risks always make for insurance challenges in Florida, but home insurance fraud driven by fraudulent roofing claims that uh, spark costly lawsuits are putting more pressure on insurers, industry experts say, and adding turbulence and ultimately high cost to owners. It isn't immediately clear what ideas could emerge from the special session, but DeSantis has laid out a broad menu of areas to target, including what he called frivolous lawsuits, reinsurance, and state building codes. Hope he gets it under control. We should get that one million policyholders off of citizens back to private insurance companies and have an insurance uh, market that really works. Well, more sharp declines in big tech stocks sent the Nasdaq comp composite down 4% Tuesday, the worst drop for the tech-heavy index since September 2020. The Nasdaq is now down 20% so far this year, 20% as investors shun the ultra-pricey tech sector, which has made gangbuster gains for much of the pandemic. With interest rates set to rise as the Federal Reserve sets up its inflation fight, traders are less and less willing to pay the lofty prices they've been paying for Microsoft, uh, Facebook's parent company, and other tech giants. The uh, S&P fell 2.8%. The Dow lost 2.4%. Stocks have been shaky recently, with uh, S&P 500 coming off a three-week losing streak. The tech-heavy Nasdaq is down 11% so far in April, just in April alone and is on track for its worst calendar month since the physical crisis in 2008. It's also down about 21% from its record set in November. Economists and investors are concerned that U.S. economy might be show slow sharply or even fall in a recession because of the big interest rate increases the Fed is expected to push through. Yesterday, uh, Tesla stock was down 12%, so that certainly added to the uh, misery of the market yesterday. Uh, probably reaction to uh, Elon Musk purchasing Twitter. And Twitter's reportedly locked down its platform through Friday following the acceptance of the $44 billion bid from Tesla CEO Musk, preventing employees from easily making unauthorized changes or otherwise sabotaging the platform. Bloomberg reported that Twitter has locked down its platform through Friday after accepting the bid from Tesla or from uh, Elon Musk. The change will make it significantly harder for employees to make unauthorized changes, according to the sources. This was likely done in an effort to prevent employees angered by Musk's purchase from sabotaging the platform. Sources said that Twitter will not allow product updates unless they're absolutely business critical. Product changes will also now require approval from a vice president, hopefully one that doesn't mind Elon Musk purchasing the company. 
Anyway, one source noted that the temporary ban was enacted in an effort to keep employees angered by the deal with Musk from going rogue. The uh, Twitter, uh, Twitter has previously instituted code freezes ahead of key events such as Super Bowl in an effort to ensure continuity across the platform. Following Musk's purchase of Twitter, several key conservatives have returned to the platform. Fox News host Tucker Carlson was also suspended from the platform for endorsing the Babylon Bee's tweet. By the way, he did an interview of the owner of Babylon Bee yesterday, actually. We, Linda and I watched it. It's really fantastic. Anyhow, uh, Tucker Carlson's back on, and uh, Carlson posted screenshots of both tweets stating, but, but wait, uh, both tweets are true and appear to be suspended as a result. Carlson has uh, returned to the platform simply stating, we're back. Uh, Mark Levin, who voluntarily left Twitter, after, uh, also announced his return to the uh, platform. Of course, President Donald Trump says, no, nope, I'm not coming back. He's going to go with True Social, which, he's, of course, he's invested in, so we certainly understand that. Uh, Musk also, on Tuesday, criticized Twitter's top lawyer for banning stories on Hunter Biden's laptop after it was reported she cried when talking to staffers after the deal had been completed and Musk had been brought the social media platform on Monday, suspending the Twitter account of major news organization for publishing a truthful story was obviously incredibly inappropriate, Musk replied to a tweet that featured a screen grab from a Monday Port, uh, Politico story. Twitter's top lawyer reassures staff cries during meeting about Musk takeover. Her name is Vajaya Gadi who has been key in negotiating the transfer of the company to Musk, has struck fear in many of the left that she will allow former President Donald Trump to return to the platform and will bring back uh, people Twitter has banned over speeches, speech issues. Musk has called himself a free speech absolutist. Gaddy, known as Twitter's moral authority, has been in charge of much of that mission, including a patrolling misinformation it was uh, she who was key to the decision to suspend the New York uh, Post account when it reported on Hunter Biden's laptop. She should leave the company. The laptop story was uh, labeled misinformation by mainstream media outlets and social media, but has since been verified by those same outlets as true. Musk's criticism indicates the types of changes in store for the Twitter for Twitter once the deal is finalized in six months. It will be refreshing. We'll talk more about this with uh, Andrew Joppa later in the show. And refreshing news also, Senator Joe Manchin once again poured cold water on the hopes that Senate would pass President Biden's ambitious Build Back Better social spending plan. There's not a Build Back Better revival, Manchin said, uh, told reporters on Tuesday. There's not. Manchin said legislation that deals with major social changes as Build Back Better sought to uh, tackle free preschool, clean energy projects, and health care, needs to go through the regular Senate uh, process and build consensus. Fresh off of spring break, environmental groups, lobbyists, and progressives are making a new push to get at least some passed in the Senate before the midterm elections. Many lawmakers view July 4th as a critical deadline to get something passed before the midterm session, and White House officials are making the real fear uh, facing the real fear that they will fail to reach a deal with Manchin to get anything done. Schumer met with Manchin yesterday and is trying to convince him to raise taxes. Hopefully he'll fail at that. My God. Can you imagine increasing taxes while we're going through this recession? <laughs> it makes no sense. 
And uh, Republican Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma on Monday released his latest report detailing what he sees as the worst examples of wasteful spending by the federal government, unveiling volume six of his federal fumbles report as the national debt sits at a record $30 trillion and more. This was one of his predecessor's favorite projects. You remember Senator Coburn. Federal Fumbles is a to-do list from me and my team, and it's also a stat status update for Oklahomans who are concerned about waste, fraud, and abuse of their tax dollars and what's being done about it, said Langford. Uh, he uh, pulled together some great examples, like, uh, for example, President Biden was so determined to leave the border open, he spent, wasted, well over $2 billion to not build fencing professionals at the Department of Homeland Security had studied and recommended the wall system of our border, but Biden paid Department of Defense contractors millions of dollars a day not to build the wall, but to babysit the fence materials on the ground ready to be installed. Then a year after public pressure, Biden agreed to close the gaps in the border fence. The report goes on to note that DHS now plans to deploy robot dogs that cost anywhere from ninety dollars to $150,000 apiece to assist in patrolling America's border with Mexico. What a waste. Thank you, uh, Senator Langford. Uh, we need to point out more of this. Get back to sanity. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples the website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. 
everyone. Every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CallYourSeniorCenter.org. That's CallYourSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Call Your Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a refreshing new uh, networking program, social networking platform. You can download the app and find out more by visiting the website, choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and devoted to private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you, Bob. So uh, for the last several weeks, we've been talking about the expansion of federal government. We have this constitution that tries to keep things balanced and limited. And uh, we're going to pick up on natural versus civil liberties and the natural uh, tendency or, or tension that exists between the two. There's a compromise, the U.S. Freedom Act. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yes, uh, McConnell and some conservative Republicans wanted to extend as is. Uh, the expiring provisions of the Patriot Act, particularly these metadata provisions where the government could collect information on how long you called, who you called, when you called, but not the content of what you called. And then the libertarian contingent, led by uh, Rand Paul and, and joined by some liberal Democrats, they wanted to repeal those provisions outright. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so Obama and most of the Democrats and a few Republicans opted for this USA Freedom Act uh, as a compromise. And the metadata under that compromise would be collected and retained voluntarily by phone companies. Of course, they already collected that data. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the phone companies could be queried by the government against known terrorist numbers, but they'd have to get an order from the Foreign Intelligence uh, Surveillance Court to do that. And those courts, that court's opinions would be declassified, and uh, if not possible to declassify them, they'd be issued in summary fashion. And moreover, there'd be a panel of advocates to represent the public in significant court cases before the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, which up to then... Uh, would only be represented by the government. There'd be nobody on the other side. Now, the update to that is that the metadata provisions um, were not renewed. So they are gone, and Mm. that's pretty much as a result of this concern over excessive surveillance and particularly the the, uh, revelations from Edward Snowden. Yeah, I mean, going back, uh, a lot of these changes have happened because of Edward Snowden's disclosures. So in your opinion, is he a hero, a traitor, or something in between? 
Well, the, the main argument against treating him as a hero is that he may have disclosed crucial information to uh, such bastions of liberty as uh, Russia and China, Venezuela, you know, Ecuador, Bolivia, Nicaragua, Cuba. Cuba. Those, those are all countries where he applied for asylum, finally ending up in Russia, as you know. Uh, so Snowden's uh, remaining options, he said, were unacceptable to him, and that was either to keep quiet about what NSA was doing or to stay here and be uh, 30 years or more in prison. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, on the one hand, I think Snowden deserves our gratitude for uncovering some of these government abuses at considerable personal risk. But on the other hand, he's had help from Russia, he, and he may have compromised vital national security interests, so he should be roundly uh, condemned for that. Hmm. So interesting. So is there a deal to be made here? Probably not uh, at this late stage, uh, particularly given uh, our current relations with Russia. One wonders, by the way, what Snowden now thinks about freedom in the United States versus freedom in Russia, given the totalitarian state that exists uh, there. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, down the road, there there would have been and there could still be an outline for a deal, and that is he would come home and he'd cooperate with investigators, and he, he wouldn't be prosecuted for actions that he's already disclosed, but he could be prosecuted for other actions that have not been disclosed that amount to espionage. And those, you know, that's traditionally defined as transmitting national defense information with an intent uh, or, or some reason to believe that it would be used to the injury uh, of the United States. Snowden says he didn't do that. Uh, and of course, if he came back, government would have the burden of proving otherwise. So if, if you took Snowden at his word, that should appeal to him if he's if he's telling the truth. But we, I doubt, are going to find out. I wonder, Bob, do you think there's any of these agencies, the CIA and so forth, that have something to hide and don't want Snowden to reveal what uh, some of this information? I, I'm sure there's information uh, of a sensitive nature that uh, we don't know about and probably will never know about. Um, you know, I personally feel that Snowden's revelations uh, were a good thing, mm -hmm. forgetting about him personally, mm -hmm. that is, personal character, and whether or not he behaved in a treasonous fashion. I think on balance, we're better off knowing what NSA was involved in and putting a stop to some of the stuff. Uh, gathering metadata on everybody in the country is a bit of an overreach for government. There are privacy concerns uh, that I think are, are uh, to have to trump uh, some of these national security considerations. The, the whole idea, of course, is to find the right balance, and that's a continuing struggle. Well, thank you for that, Bob. Let's move to a civil asset forfeiture, which is part of the Constitution. What's the constitutional basis for seizing assets without due process? Well, there was a case back in 1996, uh, Bennis versus Michigan, and it's an interesting story because Bennis, Miss Bennis, owned a car. Her husband takes the car without her knowledge, without her consent, and has sex with a prostitute. And the police erase the hus uh, arrest the uh, husband, the prostitute, and the car. Uh, and when Mrs. Bennis sues to get the car back, the court says 
No, you can't have that. The criminal expense, uh, criminal offense extends to the car itself, <laughs> which the government concedes, and she could not recover either uh, the car or its, uh, its value under this process called civil asset forfeiture. Wow. Aren't there some forms of asset seizure uh, that are justified? Yeah. If you, you know, if you have count, contraband, like, for example, counterfeit plates, uh, they could be seized legitimately. If you have what they call ill-gotten gains, like you sell your counterfeit plates and you get money for them, uh, then, of course, government could seize uh, the money. But this, this is what comes under, the Bennis case comes under what's called the facilitation doctrine. Uh, and that is some asset that is presumably uh, helped to facilitate the commission uh, of a crime. Now, the, the federal rules have now been tightened on this a little bit. And the states now have, as a result of the Bennis case, what they call an innocent owner defense. Back in 1996, Mrs. Bennis said, I didn't know about this. I wouldn't have agreed to it if I did know about it. And the court said, tough luck. There is no innocent owner defense. Well, that's been changed. But there are still a lot of states that place the burden on the owner to prove that the owner uh, didn't know about that and the owner was uh, innocent in the uh, facilitating of this uh, crime. And uh, civil asset forfeiture, I think, is just one more regrettable byproduct of the of the drug war. That's where all these assets are being, uh, that why they're being seized. Government uses the proceeds of these uh, unconstitutional expropriations to fund law enforcement activities. I I, th- I agree that law enforcement activities need to be funded. I agree that they are. Uh, in most jurisdictions, underfunded, yeah, um, and we're seeing the the result of that across the nation. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we should be using these unconstitutional asset seizures uh, to fund police departments. Let's appropriate the money legitimately through the legislature the way it ought to be, with some transparency. I couldn't agree more, Bob. As I recall, I mean, I think there were uh, fast boats that were being seized or uh, stolen by these uh, drug runners. And uh, they ended up losing the title to their boats as a result of being innocent bystanders and what happened. Is that yeah, still going yeah. on? Yeah, that's what's going on. And what's now, I think uh, there's there's a considerable movement to rein this practice in. But the process in a lot of states is still uh, very much burdensome on the innocent owner of an asset that happens to be. Uh, used by someone else to uh, facilitate the commission of a crime. Hmm. Bob Levy, again, chairman of the Cato Institute. Cato, C-A-T-O dot org is the website. Bob, genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, Andrew Joppa, professor, really interesting guy, and also author of a very interesting read, Josephus of Oz. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer with chronic pain and discomfort? After back surgery, I had painful tendons and muscles and difficulty standing upright. 
On a referral, I visited Dr. Alec at I Am Designed to Heal, Naples' only vitality and longevity practice where acupuncture, medical massage, energy healing, and integrative holistic medicine are harmonized to create a one-of-a-kind restorative experience. After only two visits, my pain began to dissipate and I could stand and walk more upright. It was amazing. I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, building a 44,000-square-foot performing arts center in downtown Naples. It's going to be absolutely beautiful, finished in a couple of years, and also bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josefa Savaz. Andy, thank you so much for being available. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So typically in our interviews on Wednesdays, always look forward to them. You've been starting off with some good news. Any good news for us? Well, this this week there is a, an abundance of good news, so I'm going to have to uh, pare it down a little bit, but uh, I think that's a, that's a good problem to have, Bob. Right. First, uh, one of my historically uh, most significant schadenfreude, uh, schadenfreude moments was when um, uh, – Trump won the election in 2016. It was announced in the morning of November 9th. The camera switched to the Javits Convention Center and the wailing and gnashing of teeth <laughs> at that center by the Democrats was just just so pleasurable. I can't tell you now. I have a new schadenfreude moment. And that is the reaction of the liberals to the takeover of Twitter by by Elon Musk. Uh, no matter what else, and I'm going to talk more about that, uh, that uh, takeout takeover later, but uh, no matter what. Uh, it is that reaction that uh, that is incredibly pleasing to see the the liberals reacting with such tremendous angst uh, over over this takeover, which I think demonst- demonstrates in itself the importance of that takeover. Uh, so that uh, th- those are the sto- one one more before we yeah, move on from the good news. Uh, DeSantis created a police force to crack down on voter fraud. Uh, I think that's that's a good move. I'll also later on allude to the uh, the uh, DeSantis Disney situation, which uh, I think, uh, at least on its face, is a is a good news story. So 
I think there's an abundance of good news. I think the Musk story, as we'll discuss it later, is a, a dramatically a big story in its potential, at least, Bob. So uh, those those are my good news moments for today. I couldn't agree more. Just, and uh, it seems the worm is turning. We've heard so much bad news. It's good to see uh, good things being reported right now. And uh, I'm really pulling for Musk. I mean, I know he's going to have some tremendous opposition to what he's working to accomplish. And I'm sure we're going to uh, the stock fell for Twitter or for uh, tes Tesla yesterday by 12 percent. I'm quite certain that the SEC is going to gear up for an investigation. There's going to be all kinds of government interference in what he's trying to accomplish. But I, I believe he's up to the task. Well, yeah, as long as we're there, let me let me just talk about Musk a little bit more and the and the Twitter takeover. Uh, I have other issues, but let, you know we're we're there now, so let me let me deal with it. Um, I think the Musk situation inherently is good. Uh, I'll, I may say some things uh, right now that sound perhaps negative, but in no way is there a downside to this takeover. This is good on its face. Right. Uh, it is an important intrusion on the uh, on the absolute hegemony of the the liberals in terms of uh, technology, social media. Uh, and I think that it uh, it portends very, very good things for the future. Uh, on the somewhat downside of this, uh, uh, the European Union just passed a, what are they called, the European Digital Services Act, uh -huh. uh, which will go into effect uh, in 2024, Europe's Digital Services uh, Act, Bob, uh, which in fact will demand, require uh, that all uh, platforms uh, actively uh, monitor their their content and this and, and in, in many ways, uh, restrict the content on their platform. There certainly is a potential that the United States uh, government, before uh, it is taken over by, the, uh, by Trump in 2024, optimistically I say that, uh, will in fact uh, move in a comparable direction. In other words, it will move towards a government sanction or requiring requiring the uh, the restrictions of content so uh, the the european movement i think is a uh, is an existing uh, circumstance uh, and i think it portends again in a negative sense for the for the future huh. uh, also if um, if donald trump does not return to the twitter and i he's already announced that he will stay on truth uh, and I have no I have no issues either way. Whatever Donald Trump decides is is his business. And uh, I have no particular uh, uh, position on that. Uh, but again, for Twitter, without without Trump there, I think it becomes a, a far less significant platform. Uh, I would also add that I just can't see uh, the liberals allowing this uh, this situation to exist without a significant challenge. I, I could name offhand. Uh, four or five different ways that they could uh, diminish the, the importance of this. Uh, on the surface, it's very difficult for me to see uh, how the, the liberal mindset will allow itself to sit on a platform uh, that is uh, exposing them uh, to what we can call uh, categorically as conservative content. Uh, there are many other things that I think may happen, but right now I don't want to get too far ahead of the game. Right now I'm I'm extremely happy that uh, Elon Musk has moved in that direction. You can see the reaction of the left in so many ways. And, of, of course, the most predictable was the uh, the ad hominem com uh, comments on on uh, Musk. Uh, he's a white supremacist. He's a white power person. He, he is advocating apartheid running <laughs> his native country of South Africa. All of these comments are so predictable from the left. So 
uh, this is this is a good news story, perhaps of enormous importance. Right. We have to let's see how it plays out. But it may be the biggest story in several years. Bob. I agree with that. It's so ironic that we have a, uh, the, the wealthiest man on the globe coming to the rescue of uh, the First Amendment and free speech for Americans. You know, we, we take for granted free speech. Oh, we don't take it for granted. We shouldn't take it for granted. But the fact of the matter is it's not guaranteed or assured by any amendment or constitution in many, many countries around the, the globe, including Canada, for example. So uh, we're, we're very fortunate to have the First Amendment. We should be grateful for it. But well, again, it's a government process. Uh, so it, it's uh, too many citizens say that uh, freedom of speech is a is a larger generic universal. It, it is not that. And I think obviously, you know that. But uh, but it's a government restriction. Uh, with that in mind, let me move uh, with from the, the Musk situation. I might get back to it. As a matter of fact, uh, let me just note, uh, back in 2017, Robert Epstein, I'm still talking about the Musk situation now, Robert Epstein, who was uh, probably the most uh, renowned uh, interpreter of, uh, of technology in, impact, it indicated that he thought in the 2016 elections that Google, by its biased uh, search search engine, had shifted perhaps 10 million votes uh, to uh, to Hillary Clinton. He then projected for the 2020 elections that the number would go up to probably a minimum of 15 million votes shifted uh, for the for the Democrat candidate, and that Democrat candidate was not even known at that point. Huh. Uh, I only point this out to indicate to your audience the the tremendous influence that can be inferred from the, the search engines and the information they present to their audience. Uh, and Robert Epstein is, is no one to be ignored. Uh, so I think we're looking at that situation being disrupted. And I think it's very good news before the 2024 election, Bob. Absolutely. Well, I'll also suggest that DeSantis called out uh, the you know, holding back on the New York Post story on uh, uh, Bobolinsky and uh, what's happened with Hunter Biden. They held that back, as did mainstream media, which I think really contributed to the uh, many, many voters, in fact, after the election said, we didn't even know about this. They should have known about it because it was uh, revealed several weeks before the election. I think there was a survey taken on that. I, I forget the exact number, but as I remember it, uh, it indicated 20% of the voters indicated they, they would not have voted for Biden if they were aware uh, prior to the 2020 election of the Hunter Biden situation. Uh, and not just Hunter Biden, because uh, ultimately I, I don't have a lot of interest in Hunter Biden per se. What I have interest in, of course, uh, is who was the big guy. And yeah. the big guy, as identified by Bob Alinsky, was undoubtedly Joe Biden himself. Right. So I think this is the direction we're going in, and I think it's the direction that will have the most significance uh, if it can be unraveled. Now, Garland and the attorney general's office has indicated that his office will do nothing, and there can be nothing done to interfere with this investigation. Now, of course, those are just words, uh, but optimistically, if this if this uh, process uh, unfolds as I believe it should, maybe not will, but should, uh, I think we're looking at a significant challenge to the uh, to legal status of, of, of Joe Biden. I would agree with that. And how about the $5.2 million unaccounted for dollars <laughs> that uh, yeah. went to the big guy? So in other words, I think the walls are beginning to close in on this entire fraudulent situation. And uh, I, I think there's a, I'm sorry, Bob. No, I just hope justice will be done. Well, I, I hope so, too. And I, again, I my only downside about this particular discussion is I, 
I think the Democrats are perhaps looking for an easy way to to dump Joe Biden. And uh, there is a, a significant turn in the reporting on the uh, from the leftist media about uh, about Biden, the uh, greater uh, revelation stories about the Hunter Biden laptop. <coughs> Excuse me. So it seems that the the left may, in fact, be willing to let this story unfold as a methodology uh, to get rid of Joe Biden. Uh, the man himself, in some incredible act of distorted ego, has indicated that uh, he will run in 2024. That is an, an amazing story, That if it's true. Uh, and it may very well be true. The man's distortions are of that type. So yeah, uh, these, are, these are incredible stories, Bob. I think they're uh, stories that have perhaps in the history of America never uh, been presented in the magnitude that we're seeing them right now, Bob. Yes, I don't want to take away from your focus, but I'd be interested in your comments on DeSantis and the positions that he's taken recently, especially with regard to Disney World and the Disney Company. Well, it's I have different views on this. I'm I'm very positively disposed to the move. I I think that the uh, Disney Corporation taking an active uh, stance uh, against the uh, parents' uh, parents' rights bill here in in Florida uh, was they moved significantly out of their lane. Uh, certainly, they were not functioning as a as a an entertainment corporation where they where where they are chartered. Uh, but they were then for uh, <clears throat> excuse me, they were uh, ex existing as a propaganda wing of the of the Democrat Party. So right. I, I understand exactly why DeSantis did it, and I applaud. I applaud his motivation and his intent. I, I have lingering doubts, however. Uh, there is certainly discussions about the legality of this move, whether or not a government can uh, launch a retaliatory move against the company when they have committed no illegal action. Uh, this is not, not allowed within law. Retaliatory response of government is not uh, something that is allowed. Um, and again, I'm not speaking against my, my, my support of that action, uh, but again, it does seem to be a retaliatory action, I think with cause, but nevertheless, it may be viewed by the courts uh, as being as being illegal. So, so uh, uh, if I might, if I might, Andy, I, I would suggest the legislation calls for all companies, all uh, special uh, situations like that, like the Reedy uh, situation. Uh, or the Disney situation, all be before, I think it was 1968, uh, would be dissolved by 2023. Now, that would be six different organizations, not just uh, Disney. So in other words, I think there's some protection on that front because of the way the legislation was written. Yeah, I, I certainly don't believe it's, it's, a, it's an, an easy case for Disney uh, to make. Uh, but I think it is a it is a legal action that certainly we're, we're going to see. So I, I hope it stays in place. The withdrawal of the uh, of the Reedy Creek Improvement District uh, uh, action for for Disney. Uh, but again, there will be legal action. I think there will also be action based on uh, suppression of freedom of speech. Mm -hmm. uh, the company and this is a government action which would is being used, uh, interpreted. I'm not supporting what I'm saying, but I'm just talking yeah. about legal action that might be initiated. Uh, that this was a suppression of, of uh, Disney Corporation's right to free speech by a government action, uh, which if it was defined by the courts that way, and we certainly know, Bob, that the courts can go in these type of directions, uh, especially if we get it before a, uh, a district or circuit judge with a strong liberal bent that these, these rulings will be in those directions, Bob. All right, no question. I really appreciate that commentary. I'd like to take a brief break, if we may. Andy, can, can you stick around? 
nothing better to do, Bob. Okay, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Offices located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, among other things, providing programs and policies to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. You can find out more by visiting the very robust website, thefga.org. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you, Bob. Let me just uh, respond to your uh, use of the word accountability in, in your uh, recent in your recent statement uh, just a few seconds ago. Uh, as I would talk to my classes, accountability is the issue always. Sometimes we talk about responsibility, but responsibility, Bob, without accountability is useless. Right. Uh, so we often focus on responsibilities, but I think ultimately accountability, which is the reward or punishment for uh, the fulfillment of your responsibilities, is ultimately the critical issue. So I, I admire the use of, of that word as you uh, applied it to, to governmental actions. Um, I extracted a few stories that I found of interest. Uh, they're of uh, unknown importance, but uh, some of these can develop into huge stories. I, I, I can't project that. Uh, the first being, for example, a story that Tucker Carlson has highlighted several times. Uh, it's that there have been dozens, dozens of food processing plants, fires, plane crashes, uh, other curious accidents at food processing plants in America. Yeah. Uh, the numbers go far beyond what coincidence should allow. Uh, so then the question is, 
Uh, are these cyber attacks? Are these uh, internal uh, sabotage from uh, unknown uh, enemies? Uh, but again, the story is one of those that, that, that could develop into, into something that is enormous, especially if this type of uh, statistic persists into the future. Right now, it is creating a significant level of, of damage to our food processing plants. Uh, if that, again, got extended to larger numbers over time, uh, I think we're looking at uh, what could be a, a, a dramatic story, Bob. Yeah, no, so, the, and I don't have the information here in front of me, but as I looked at this, there seems to be about 20, 20, 23, 24 uh, food processing plants that have been burned or airplane crashes, more than one airplane crash into the food processing and totally destroying, create total destruction for these uh, companies. So you have to ask yourself, there's no coincidence here. What's going on? Oh, that That is the question. And uh, I think the, the this is the type of question that should be explored by uh, those that are, char are, are charted to explore these type of questions. Uh, but again, as I project, if the as you're pointing out, the number is in the dozens. This is over. Uh, it's it's over 25. The last count I heard uh, far beyond what uh, even the most dramatic series of coincidences should have allowed. So uh, talking about an attack on our on our on our food chain certainly should be a dramatic story. We, we have to see how it plays out. And I hope I hope uh, there is greater involvement from the government to uh, to investigate this. I only invoke the government because I don't know how else that investigation uh, would take place. That's right. Uh, another uh, interesting and, and extremely uh, negative story is the uh, tremendous level of military suicide since 9-11. They estimate that there have been 30,000 30, military su uh, suicides wow. of active personnel or those that were active during the 9-11, uh, the post-9-11 period. 30,000 suicides in the military uh, in the last uh, year and in the, at least the last 10 months on the USS Washington aircraft carrier. There have been 10 suicides on that aircraft carrier alone, one particular uh, war boat. Uh, and in 2020, there was a 25 percent jump in military suicides. Uh, this is not something again. This is not uh, a, a statistic that can be uh, attributed to just a uh, an unusual set of coincidences. This is something that has to be analyzed. There is something emotionally, psychologically, physically that is uh, is damaging these troops to the point of their willingness. Thirty thousand of them, Bob, willingness to take their lives. We lost in terms of active combat situations during that same period around seven thousand. That same period of time. 30,000 to suicide. So See, that's a, this again is a is a serious story. Uh, it may reflect the changes that have been made in the military. I, I can't make that point because I just don't know. Well, let, I guess I just did make that point, actually. Uh, but I, I have no way of documenting that. But I think we have to investigate how changes in the military may have been contributing to the level of suicidal death in America. Well, that's so interesting, Andy. I've not heard that statistic. I did hear a statistic that, uh, strangely, we have military uh, personnel who are dying uh, you know, overnight, going to bed and not waking up. And uh, so it raised the question in my mind about whether they had taken uh, the vaccine or whether they'd, uh, w you know, this death rate is up substantially. You're attributing, uh, it sounds like, uh, maybe there's two separate incidents, I don't know, but you're attributing this to uh, suicide, which is quite concerning. Well, I mean, it's, it's of course, it should be of concern. This is not something that can be ignored and, and uh, shoved under the under the rug. This is, this is a story that is of, 
a tremendous importance if it is being generated by actions taken within the military. As far as the other numbers you're citing, the uh, the increased uh, death rate for those between 18 and 40 is up by hundreds of percentage points right. uh, over the last measured year of 2019 or 2018, I forget which. Uh, so this, this increased death rate, uh, it, it, it can be correlated certainly with the introduction of the uh, of the COVID vaccines. They may not be cause and effect, Bob, but right. certainly there's a high degree of correlation. Right. Uh, and if we can't understand what's causing this, uh, this is a, a dramatic uh, increase in the death rate uh, of, I'm going to describe it this way, of military-age males in America, Bob. Scary stuff indeed. So uh, we'll, we'll follow that story. Uh, we need to follow that story. It's just very concerning indeed. Uh, I wonder if, you know, right now there's a consideration of uh, eliminating or suspending payments on the student loan adjustment program. Uh, and it looks like a political ploy to me somehow, some way, buying favor of younger voters. And they're not all young uh, to, uh, to the Democrats. Any thoughts? Well, I, I just uh, just published an essay on that uh, the student loan adjustment program, which I, uh, as my acronym was SLAP. You know, it, my basic point is there is no circumstance uh, under which there should be a blanket uh, loan forgiveness. Uh, I think we have to understand that the students, uh, in most cases, benefited or should have benefited uh, from that process. We can also look at the the enormous number of of uh, families that mortgage their homes to send their kids to to college. Should should these people be reimbursed? What right. about the the kid who worked his way through college? Should he be ignored? Uh, is it just those that uh, that took out these loans? And in many cases, Bob, these loans were taken out in numbers far beyond what was needed for the the expenses of tuition and room and board. Uh, so they had surplus phones. These were these became uh, funds for self-indulgence. Uh, so I, I suggested a process by which uh, the student can either pay back the loan under the uh, existing schedule or or for the rest of their lives, pay a fixed percentage of taxable income. Uh, now, the benefits of this is they don't have to pay till they uh, till they start working and the uh, the more they uh, the more they make, the more they pay. But it eliminates the pressure that they are supposedly under right now uh, from these loans. Uh, but we cannot just have blanket forgiveness of these loans because, again, this is going in uh, hurting the taxpayers, certainly. Uh, and it's it's a slap in the face, uh, as far as I'm concerned, to all those people who, in, uh, with tremendous struggle and effort, uh, funded their education out of their own pockets. So uh, I think we have to look at this, uh, as you pointed out. Uh, I think we're going to look at uh, this at least being uh, verbalized uh, by the by the left before the 2022 midterms. In, in addition to that, I, I would project a larger discussion, more open discussion in the area of reparations for uh, for slavery. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we're going to see both of those issues being leveraged, attempted to be leveraged by the Democrat left uh, going into 2022. So uh, on top of the potential for voter fraud, and there's been very little done to uh, minimize the, the problems since 2020, uh, if we talk about voter fraud, uh, if we talk about the uh, the introduction of manipulative concepts uh, by the, the the Democrat government, uh, I think we're looking at a perhaps not a uh, an, an, a smooth road for Republican victories in 2022. If all was fair and just, 
if everything was hand, handled as it should, I would project a 60-seat uh, pickup in the House, uh, perhaps a three- to four-seat pickup in the Senate. Yep. Uh, with all of the other implications, Bob, uh, I really can't project uh, the, the numbers uh, as we stand right now. Uh, so well said, Andy. I, I will make a comment about education, though. We're kind of dealing with the symptoms here. The fact of the matter is that most parents sent their kids to college with the idea that, hey, uh, you're going to have a leg up by getting a good education. You're going to end up getting a better job and have more earning power. And that's not necessarily what everybody thought, but I think that was a prevailing thought when people are scraping away and, and applying for loans. The fact of the matter is the effectiveness of education has gone down substantially. And I'm not just talking about secondary or uh, uh, college education, but also uh, public school education as well. We need to fix that problem, quite frankly. And I think the way to do that is to go back to uh, classical education and uh, making sure that people are getting a good education and not just being indoctrinated. I look, obviously, I totally agree with that. Of course, it's it's. It always leads to the question of, of how do we get that done. Uh, one of my fears is that the Democrats will leverage this uh, student loan forgiveness program into another push towards uh, free college for all. Now, yeah. uh, this this sounds uh, on, on the surface good if we don't understand the Democrat motivations. Uh, they certainly uh, relish the idea of having more and more students going to this Marxist training grounds that many of our universities have become. Not all, not mine, for example. Uh, and, and many are not that. But certainly, uh, I would say most of the elite colleges are, in fact, indoctrination centers for Democrat propaganda, Marxist propaganda, if I might, Bob. So I think that uh, I, my concern is that this will move towards uh, free college for all. I think Bernie Sanders has uh, pushed that consistently through his political career. Uh, so I think we can see that action uh, also starting to happen before the 2022 midterms. Yeah, I totally agree with that, uh, Andy. And. You know, and uh, with regard to uh, college education, again, we need to we need to buckle. I, I just lost my thought. I had a comment that I wanted to make to you. <laughs> I lost my thought, Andy. But nevertheless, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here. Commentary here. On what, what I would advise is every student to take my courses. Bob. Yeah, absolutely. I would re recommend <laughs> that as well. I'd get a good education that way as well. So, Andy, really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk soon, Bob. All right. Thank you so much. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we've got uh, terrific guests for tomorrow's show, including Keith Flaw. He's the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Michael Cannon, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. And uh, the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, always keeping us close to what's happening in local government. We'll visit with uh, Bill as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. Hey, and if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. It's one of the best ways to get the word out. We don't advertise the show that much. Simply post it on uh, podcast sites and uh, social media. So uh, let your friends know that uh, to listen to the Bob Harden Show. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.